As much as we love the history of the Restoration, the power and appeal to the rest of the world will not be in our history. Because of what we've always understood about the Restoration, when we start introducing people to the Gospel, we're pretty quick to launch into gold plates and angels. And, and Book of Mormon and all of those kind of things because we think that's the thing that is where the power and the testimony and everything is related. Isn't it fascinating though that the deeper you get into the church, what, where is it that our testimony is rooted? In Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ and the and Savior. The so we're doing this kind of an interesting switch where we're going from our testimony is going to be in Joseph Smith. I know Joseph Smith was a prophet and the church is true and the Book of Mormon is true to I'm going to, I'm going to believe in the atonement. Now, some of this by our history is just this transitional period that we are in. It started, this, um, we just celebrated the 20th anniversary of uh, Stephen Robinson's Believing Christ, where he brought grace to the forefront. And he was talking about the fact that we are saved by grace and everything. And, and Stephen Robinson himself talks about giving a fireside uh, in a stake where he talked about believing Christ and how we are, we have to rely on the grace of Christ. And, and a stake president stood up behind him and said, you just heard false doctrine. Oh. You know, it is, it, there's been a kind of a theological shift that has happened over the last 20 years, moving and understanding the power of Christ. And, and so ultimately when I look at it, whether when we're talking to people outside the church and even to the, the rest of the world, the power of our message and who we are and what the restoration brings to the world is not in our history. As much as I love and revere our history, the power of our message is quite frankly in our theology. It's in our understanding of Christ. Think how often in our experience here in North Texas, how fast are we quick if somebody says, well, Mormons aren't Christian, what do we do? We sure are. You believe in Christ, we believe in Christ. You believe in grace, we believe in grace. We are like you. We're, we're like blood brothers. We are, we are believing in Christ. And they will re usually return and they will say, your Jesus is not our Jesus. Your Jesus is different. And you go, no, it's the same one. This is a, the crucifixion and the atonement. And Is our Jesus their Jesus? No, it's not, and that's what we're going to talk about. Physically. How is my Jesus different than yours? And if they say something that is doctrinally different, then we'll work on that. If they say something that's doctrinally the same, I go, mine does too. Yes. If, if, and if you think about it, though, if, if the restoration of the gospel simply was that our understanding of Christ was no different from any of the what we we'll call the creedal Christianities, the Christianities of the creeds and that, uh, that have thesis statements and all those kind of things. If, if what we bring is no different than what they had, what does the restoration bring? Well, not much. Okay? But the reality is is that the Christ of the Restoration is different in a lot of important aspects. Okay, and that's what I want to get into. Okay, that's another thing. Yeah. Well, we had a, 
at, at our state conference, they had one lady talk who was who had been baptized just a little over a month ago. Yes. And she was talking about, you know, all the years that she visited different churches and went to different churches. She said she continually read her Bible. And the thing that kind of turned her off was that the churches did not preach what was in the Bible. Yes. They put their spin on it. Yeah, and as she's looking for all that time looking at a church, she's not saying, I would really like one with gold plates and angels. <laughs> I'm not looking for the true church. What I'm looking for is Jesus. I'm looking for the Jesus that I believe is him. And that's what I'm going to say to you. The Christ of the Christianity is that Jesus. Okay, yeah. When I was first introduced to the church, and this... The revelation of Job Smith was explained to me and how the Father and the Son were real and how they had a body and they were separate and everything. Inside me, I always knew that thing, yes. Yeah, you know, it's, it's like, like, this really makes sense. These are the only guys that make sense. Yeah, <laughs> but it was the theology behind it. Okay, so it isn't so much our, the power is not in our history, though it is in the history that this Christ is revealed. The power is not in Joseph Smith, but it's, it's the Christ that Joseph Smith revealed to the world where the power is. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. Jimmy? I went to a, <clears throat> excuse me, I went to a Southern Baptist church. Yeah. Okay. And they had a lot of and he was saying that we don't read the Bible, you read the book of Mormon, and we don't believe in Christ, we worship Joseph Smith. Yeah. And I wanted so much to get up and say something, but I kept my mouth shut, <laughs> because I didn't want to cause contention. Yeah, and so, so let's spend some time talking about the difference between that, because I think it's really critical that we understand. And, and I'll tell you why I think this is critical. Because um, the early church uh, in this dispensation were all Protestants. 98% of them were Protestant. They brought with them their Protestantism and the way that they thought and the way that they looked at the world and everything. And so from time to time I see strains of Protestantism and the Christianity of the creeds in our culture and in the way that we look at things because of that. Okay. Uh, it was, it was going to be unavoidable. And also, the Lord was going to have to reveal a, a church to a group of Protestants. He had to speak their language to a certain extent for them to be able to hear it and, and, and come to grips with it. Okay? All right. So, Joseph Smith says, Our Heavenly Father is more liberal in his views and boundless in his mercies and blessings than we are ready to believe or receive. Does that make sense? He is far more powerful than we think. And we have a tendency to limit him. And I'll, and I'll show you why you say it. Okay? Okay? Uh, let's see. I'm going to come back to that. <coughs> Yes, I'll, I'll, I'll put this out there because I think this is kind of important. Okay, uh, five-minute history lesson. 
So, so, so bear with me. You just need to so you can put this all in context. Okay, five minute history lesson, um, and it may be ten. <laughs> as as uh, Judaism and as the as the church in Judea is 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 moving along after the resurrection of of the Savior, Paul and other another of the brethren take the gospel to the to the known world. And, and think about how it's laid out. First of all, they're going to take it into the Greek areas. Uh, and that's when they're going to get us into Ephesus, Ephesus and Corinth and uh, uh, Rhodes and all the places along, all along the Mediterranean, uh, parts of Egypt. This is where the church is going, predominantly to Greeks. Predominantly to Greeks. Okay? Now, the Greeks can hear the gospel, but, but the Greek, Greek mythology is about philosophizing and thinking and analyzing and, and seeing all of this and multiple gods. And, and it, it was all about, you know, uh, uh, the, the world of Plato. Okay? So with all of these guys, when the gospel comes in, they thought, they write, they look at it. And those early Greeks look at it and they taught, and we have these writings of Origen and uh, Polycarp and a number of the Christian fathers, they said um, there was a pre-existence, there was a council in heaven, the fall of man was a uh, fortunate fall, it was part of the uh, plan of happiness. Uh, they had pretty well the whole plan. Uh, Polycarp had been taught by John the, the Revelator. Uh, um, Justin had been taught, had been baptized by Peter. They were being taught, they were kind of really close to the source, the spring of pure water, right? So they have all of these beautiful concepts uh, that, that uh, the Savior and the Father are separate, but they are collaborative. They work together to bring to pass the immortality of man, okay? They have those concepts, okay? So it's in Greece. Then what happens is the gospel then progresses all the way into Rome. Roman thought was much different than Greek thought. Roman thought is about rules and laws and, and all those kind of things. Okay, So then we get to 300 AD and, and along comes Constantine and not only does he convert to the gospel, but he makes Christianity the state religion. So now you get a state religion full of laws and rules and, and all those kind of things, right? And then when, by the time we get another hundred years and we get to Augustine, Augustine will come in and, and make all of those beautiful concepts that the saints knew early on, a pre-existence, a collaborative father, all of that kind. He'll make all of that heresy. That's all wrong. It, man is depraved. Man is lost. God is so far beyond us that he can't really, he has no body parts or passions. That was the Austenian God going forward that then infused itself into the Middle Ages. And all the stuff that had been taught in the, in kind of the Eastern religions over here was now seen as heresy. Yeah. So was that the Council of Nicaea? Yes, where, what, the reason they were having councils is they, started, they said, we can't just have everybody studying everything. We have to know what is true and what is not. <laughs> what they want the law to be. <laughs> yes, what, what the, and, and, and that's why we get things like the Spanish Inquisition. You know, where you're like, here is the law. You will believe this. If you don't believe this, you will die. 
So, the, so it's not just you're going to have different beliefs. It is contrary beliefs may be a death sentence. Okay. Yeah. So why would he do that? Was it was it to control the people? Yeah. Or was, was that the whole reason? Because okay. part of the the other advantage to for uh, Augustine was as they're doing that, they're pulling the power into the churches, and so so for instance. Um, Part of that was then, like the, the sacraments that, that would be the, what they called the uh, channels of grace, mm -hmm. had to flow into these sacraments. So you've got to have last rites, and you've got to have baptism, and you've got to have, and you've got to come to the priest to do it, obviously. <laughs> and now that, that had been part of the Eastern tradition as well, but you get to that part, and now they can control it financially with indulgences and stuff like that. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. We on board? Okay, so now you're getting your, your history lesson. Okay, so the Christ then of the Roman Middle Ages, as it's developing and their understanding of it, is that sin is a crime. When you sin, that that is that's catastrophic. That's really bad. And some crimes are worthy of death. Some sins. Okay, sins are removed by sacraments, by penance, and by advocates pleading with God. So that's where the saints, Mary, everybody is going to... But it's also a connection that says things happen. We can have advocates. Okay? On the other side. What, what happens is if I light a candle, I'm praying for, my, for, for, for those that have died and gone on. Uh, uh, you, you guys going to see Coco yet? No. You go see Coco. Tell you because there's a connection in in uh, the Hispanic cultures, you know, with the Day of the Dead. It's where the dead will actually come back and be there, and you put out food for them so that they can actually. And so there, there's a connectedness to the those that have died, and those kind of people and the saints can then pray for us. They can be our advocate with the Father. Okay. Why the Roman Christian energy made as an advocate when there was Jesus Christ was, is the advocate? Why do you resolve? We, we all right. say. Yeah, hold, hold on to the idea of. What? We, we know Jesus is our advocate. And why do right. those men. Hold on to that idea. We're going to talk about the Savior as an advocate in just a second. Because there is a form, but it's going to be a little different than you think. <laughs> okay, hold on to that idea. Yeah. When you get to that, I comment about advocacy. Okay, yeah. But see, that, as you're looking at this, you're going to go, hey, wait a minute, some of this resonates with us. Some of this sounds familiar. This is part of what we believe. That's what I'm telling you. There's some, there some fingers here, okay? So, advocate pleading with God for us. That was, that was part of that whole process. Now. No indulgences yet? Yeah, well, the indulgences are part of that, right? Oh, yeah. See, part of what happens... Oh, sins have a hierarchy. Thank you. And that is that when you think about it, the, not just our, our set of rules and laws in society, but also here, is that some sins are worse than others. Now, in society, what happens if somebody commits a crime? What, what, kind, what are we going to do? We've got to give them a punishment because it will deter them, right? But how do we know how big a punishment to give them? Because of the degree 
Because of the degree of the crime. If, we, if they murder somebody and we slap them on the wrist, they'll probably murder poor people. <laughs> so we gotta, we've got to adjust the punishment to fit the crime. And sins are hierarchical that way. The bigger the crime, the more the punishment. Uh, and the, for Catholicism, it was more indulgences. You can pay for this, even ahead of time. <laughs> um, as, as, as was happening around kind of Mardi Gras kind of thing. I know I'm going to be sinning, now let me just pay ahead. Um, but also it was just in terms of, you've got to do penance. You've got to pay for your sins. You have to, that's how you do it. You've got to pay for your sins. So that's going to be, even if it's just ten Hail Marys and, and for our fathers, it's still going to, you have to be doing something to erase your sin. Because it's catastrophic. And if you don't do it, and if you're not going to confession, and you're not attending Mass, and you die without last rites, what happens to you? That's right. You're going to go to hell, uh, because Christ had to come and correct the original sin. Mankind was doing great in the garden, and Adam screwed it up. <laughs> so there's an original sin, and all of his... All of the people coming from Adam and Eve are stained by Adam's original sin. So when you sin, that's part of that sinful nature. And so unfortunately, most people will go to hell uh, or limbo or purgatory and other, because you didn't hear the word, you didn't accept the word, you didn't accept the sacraments. So the Christ of the Middle Ages, how many people, if this was everybody that's ever lived, how many are going to actually go to heaven and live in the bosom of Abraham in little peace, in peace and love? A little bit. Everybody else, pagans, Jews, Muslims, Buddhists, everybody else is going to hell or purgatory. or Bad places, but not heaven. It's a, it's, it's a very select group. Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So that's the Christ of the Middle Ages. The Reformation, the Great Enlightenment, and here comes Luther, and we just celebrated the 500th anniversary of Luther's uh, thesis statements and, and Calvin and all those. We're going to reform. We no longer believe that stuff. We're now going to come in and start casting stuff away because we just don't think that's true. Uh, so now we're going to get to Christ in the Reformation. Sin is a sign of being fallen. Man can do nothing to save himself. Sin is removed by accepting Christ. Now, depending on where you are, everywhere from kind of Baptist, Methodist, Lutheran, there's going to be some shade of this. But by and large, it really boils down to uh, faith comes by accepting Jesus, right? So where does the authority come for a pastor or a priest in these other traditions, where do you get your authority from? The Word. The Word. And the Word is? The Bible. The Bible. Just it's sometimes been called the priesthood of the believers. If, you're, if you have a group of people and you have the Word, you have the authority to preach. Uh, so now, do you need a sacrament? Do you need a baptism? Some would say yes. A lot would say no. But the authority to do that is in the Word. Most of the time, baptism is going to be a little bit more symbolic. It doesn't mean it's necessarily removing sins, but it's an entrance in. It just proves outwardly you've accepted Christ. Okay? 
So, and, and we're so we're going to get rid of all these trappings that were in the that were all the way across all the Middle Ages and everything because we're now enlightened and we're now moving forward. Um, so Christ really came to correct Adam's sin. We still need to be bailed out because of Adam's original sin. The sin was still a step down. Adam's sin was still a step down. Okay. Now, of that group, how many are going to go to heaven and who goes to hell? What do you have to do to get to heaven? Accept Jesus. Know it and say, I accept Jesus. I'm going to do the altar call. I'm going to come down and witness to him. And so I'm now born again. I, I'm now have, so I will go to heaven. Who goes to hell? The rest. <laughs> Muslims, Jews, pagans, Buddhists, everybody else who doesn't accept Jesus. And, I, and when I've challenged some of my Christian friends on this, they'll say, well, what about, you know, a missionary's going down the path and he goes right and, teach, and tells them about Jesus, but he doesn't go left, so they never hear about Jesus. And he goes, that is kind of a mystery. God will take care of it. Yes, he did. That's what I'm trying to tell you. <laughs> yes, he did, but let me tell you how he did it. <laughs> okay? So, isn't it interesting that the Christ of the Middle Ages and the Christ of the Reformation is still one where a lot of people go to hell. Interesting when you walk into the Sistine Chapel uh, at the Vatican, and the whole and right behind the altar is is Dante's massive vision of everybody going to hell, <laughs> you know, and they're just all suffering at different levels all the way down. Man, it is just wow, <laughs> a lot of misery, flames, and burnings and stuff like that. Okay. That's kind of a, so, so if you're going to say to a group of people, are you ready for Judgment Day? <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be run to death, scared to death of Judgment Day. But wait, how many times in our church we talk about, are you ready for the Savior to come? You ready for Judgment Day? What do we do? <laughs> you get it. For how many people is Judgment Day a scary idea? And it's that moment when we're saying, the gavel is about to fall and I'm going to find out, celestial, terrestrial, telestial, dang, missed it by five points. <laughs> I'm stuck in the terrestrial kingdom. Uh, or we're, we're looking at it going, if my child leaves the church, it will be a sad heaven because we will be there and they won't be. And I mentioned that to a client the other day who's pretty sure that he's not going to make it to the celestial kingdom. <laughs> But he says, but the good news is, is that uh, they can come visit me. I said, are you out of your ever-loving mind? <laughs> Tell me why you're not making the celestial kingdom. Well, because I'm not doing this, 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 and this. And I said, wow, let's talk. But I'm, I, and, I, and I'll I can't tell you how many single ladies that I've had come into my office. And they will go... It's gonna, I, I'm ready to be a ministering angel for the eternities. Mm. Well, what, what makes you think you're not going to be sealed in the celestial kingdom? Well, you know, if it doesn't happen in this life. Well, I'm not sure that it will because this is, but the Book of Mormon says this is, the, this is the time to repent and after that it is everlastingly too late. Woo. No, not even for this. Hold on to that one. When we get to February and we talk about how the Book of Mormon was translated, 
you're going to find that there's some Protestant language that wheedled its way into the Book of Mormon. That's one of them. Yeah. So I want to know, have you ever talked to anyone who goes, yeah, I know I'm in the celestial kingdom, bring it on. <laughs> um, I did that the other day to end class. <laughs> yes, it was a priesthood. And they said, okay, anybody in here perfect? And I said, and they went, oh, come on, Hinkley. <laughs> and I said, you're going, be ye therefore perfect, right? I said, that means be ye therefore complete and entered into the mysteries, which means, yes, I've been endowed. Thank you for asking. <laughs> I plan on being in the celestial kingdom. If that's perfection, I'm there. Well, that's not what we meant. Well, that's what it meant. <laughs> I know, I'm obnoxious in a class. <laughs> okay. So, the Christ of the Restoration. What is it that we bring to the table? What is it that, as Latter-day Saints, the power in our theology is the Christ that we reveal to the world through the instrumentality of Joseph Smith? And, that, and that's, that's this. Um, Sin is a wounding of our divine nature. Sin is a wounding. Think about that for a second. When we talk about sins, we can look at it and go, your sin is higher than my sin, or you sinned worse than I did. It has a hierarchy. What about wounding? What about suffering and pain? It Who's going to say that I'm hurting more than you're hurting? And it doesn't matter whether my wounding is a result of my actions or somebody else has hurt me. It doesn't matter. We are all wounded. Now, if you have a wound, do you try and sit and heal your own wound? Sometimes. I know. And how well does that work? Yeah. And generally, what are we doing? Besides going to the Google and thumb them to find out what you're supposed to do. <laughs> We're going to go find a healer. I've got this thing going on. I need to have somebody that will tell me and walk me through how to get well. If we are wounded, then we need the healer. And we're going to quit trying to pretend we can do it on our own. Okay? I was, I was uh, at the dentist's office the other day. We were doing, we've been doing some things and they're repairing some things and, and they've been waiting for something to heal. And the, the little assistant, she goes, let me just look in and see if the magic has happened. <laughs> yeah, that, my, my gum is healing. This thing is happening that I didn't do anything about. I just have to take care of it and it heals. Isn't that cool? But you do have to take steps. There are things that I've got to do. I can make it worse. Mark was in denial that for two and a half weeks that he had a broken finger. It's not going to get any better. I, I will do it myself. I will do it myself. And so we have to, we, sometimes we have to get up and go to the healer to say to take care of this. And think about how many people who are out there wounded that refuse to go to the healer. Okay? If we uh, don't think we need the uh, if we think we can heal ourselves, we're saying we never needed a savior. Yes. And and when we get caught up in the perfectionism and the and the penance, repentance stuff, we're kind of saying we can do this ourselves. But if we're saying I'm wounded and I have to go to the healer that knows how to heal me, that's who we, that's who we worship, the Christ who does the healing. Rather than we're saving ourselves by our penance, repentance. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, everyone is wounded. Christ is the healer. With his stripes we are healed. Now, we have in section 45, uh, that there, there is another element here. And that is that in our, in our understanding of theology, and part of it comes in section 45, where it says, okay, God the Father, and this is very Roman, by the way, God the Father is representative of justice. And he would really like us to somehow fry. Or justice is going to be piled down on us, and we're going to be roasted because of our sins. That was catastrophic. And the only thing that saves us is Christ the Advocate. And he stands like section 45. Uh, I am the advocate with the Father. And we kind of picture that as like, like, like Captain America and his shield or something. We're going to protect all these people from the wrath of justice. It's going to somehow, because the, the Father is on one side of this advocacy and the Son is saying, I know you really want to roast them, but spare these, my brethren. It's the Father's plan. <laughs> yes. Okay, you're getting it. Yeah. It depends on how you view the word with. Okay. Statement. Uh, wrong, wrong word. Wrong word to look at. It's the word advocate. <laughs> the word advocate. The word advocate in the New Testament shows up five times. The Greek word is paraclete. And it means comfort. It means comfort. This, what it really means is the, is Jesus working with the comforter, the Holy Ghost, in conjunction with the Father on Judgment Day, it's going to help us understand what lack we yet and move us forward. There's a collaborative effort. And, and best way to explain this, best way to explain this, um, if you want to know what... Um, when I picture what Judgment Day might look like, uh, I have to go back to, to some of the, the high council disciplinary councils that I've been a part of. Okay? And here is somebody who has wounded himself through, through sin. Right? They're going to show up. They're going to sit down with this council who then listens, takes it all in, tries to understand. Then the state presidency goes off and they pray about that and get an idea about what would help this what would move this person along and bring them back into our presence then they bring the person in with the whole high council there and say we prayed about it here's the steps that we think will help bring you back in full fellowship one do this do this handle this take care of this listen to this take care of this we will work, we will walk alongside you. We will work with you while you're doing it during this next year. Meet often, be part of us. We're going to mentor you. We're going to get you there. And within the next year, let's get you back in here and bring all of that back. In other words, it, it isn't judgment like you're forever kicked out. It is, that's the beginning of how can we bring you back and help remove you of the woundings that you caused. A healing process. It is a healing process. And so, uh, oft times, a year later, they come back in. I feel better. I've done this. The healing has occurred. Awesome. Enter into our rest. You know, you have now completed that, that process. 
My view of Judgment Day is that. I think that's the moment. Instead of the gavel falls and we're assigned, I think it's where are we at the moment? What do we need to do? Give us an eon, an eternity, and a millennia, and we are to be in God's presence. The goal is to have everybody in God's presence. Yeah. Does that make sense, sort of? Yeah. Okay. What I was trying to say. Yes, before I sidetracked you. Was that Christ, to use your word, is a comforter. Yeah. Together with and beside the Father. And the Holy Ghost. Yes. Yes. And, and they're all together, not one opposing Absolutely. the other. And, yes. And that's what I meant by because of what you Oh, by with. with. Yeah, it's kind of alongside. So it's like the comforter, the advocate, and that part is more like mentor, more like teacher, uh, to walk alongside, works alongside the Father to complete the Father's plan for you. So in that setting, here's everybody who's ever lived. How many are going to heaven? Most of them. You got to really not want to be there after millenniums of a loving teacher working beside you. To not to choose not to be there. This is this is what we call the crowded heaven. That there will be a crowded heaven. Yeah. I, I liken it to my own father, um, which I think we've been taught to do. Uh, my father would never turn his back on me no. when I was wounded. And yes. I got to think that that our father in heaven is not grander in punishment, but grander in love. Yes. No, can you imagine he's he's gonna give us a plan whereby the vast majority of his children will suffer in, in misery. It's the true meaning of Moses one thirty nine. That is his work. That's not a habit or a side dish. That is the main meal. And that is his glory. He delights in us. As Making it. He is being seen with it. And if you think about it, the idea of what is heaven? Heaven isn't a place. Heaven is relationships. Loving, heaven is, we have, we have grown to the point where we are celestial in nature and we, and we enjoy the sociality with other celestial beings. We get to be together with <laughs> other people that are like us. And, and there's no judgment moment when it's like, okay, that was your last moment. This was, no, I will we will take as long as it takes to get you ready in here. I don't care if you were excommunicated today. If it takes you 50 years to come back, we will keep working with you until you're back. Yeah. I hear there is a sentence that scripture talks about God is the way yes. that leads to destruction. Narrow is the way that leads yeah. to eternal life. You there you, there be that find it? I think that's in this life. I think in the long run, you get that. Um, now, let's go back to... I think Jesus just doesn't want us to suffer in this life. So if we accept him here, then we're not going to have to suffer here and we can learn so much more yeah. and come to him. But, but in, in, the, in the process of the world's history, very few will actually kind of find it here. Very few. The church will always be small. But that's the, that's the beautiful part about understanding what happens in the eternities. And the, the, the plan of the Father goes all the way to the point where every possible person that can be saved will be saved. 
That's why it was such a shock to Joseph Smith when, he's, when he, his understanding of Alvin was that Alvin died before the church came and he wasn't churched and he hadn't been baptized. And so he always mourned that as good as Alvin was, he wasn't going to make it into heaven. When Joseph finally has the vision of what's going to happen, he goes, wait a minute, Alvin was there. <laughs> How does that work? And we start looking, and, and that's why we start looking and going, sometimes we're, we're too narrow in our thinking, and that's very Roman. It's very <laughs> Protestant. It's very limiting. Okay? All right. Excuse me. Can so, I just, brother, can I just add one thought? Yeah. Because we're asked to do temple work, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> Think about that one for a second. Th think about all of the, okay, uh, the, in, in life they were an adulterer, they were a murderer, they, you know, all this kind of stuff, or that they never heard the gospel. Right. And, and this is why I think, oh, I don't want to, oh, okay. I'm here. I don't. <laughs> We've talked about this a little bit. There is transitional language, there's, there's movement and when we get to the Doctrine and Covenants. We're not quite there yet. Okay. So that, that's why in like section 76 it talks about the fact that uh, who's going to the terrestrial kingdom? Well, it's going to be the good people of the earth that were blinded by the philosophies of men, didn't accept the testimony of Jesus. That's the terrestrial kingdom. We take those very people every day in the temple and we do what? Seal them mm -hmm. to their families with all the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Are we saying, so therefore, we, because we sealed you, you get to be in the terrestrial kingdom? No. All of that is saying, that's getting you to the celestial kingdom. Now, whether that means the terrestrial kingdom is kind of a temporary place before you kind of move on, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't understand. But I do know that everybody that can be sealed and accepted is going. That's the Father's plan. Okay. And it still, it still honors agency. Because some people Love just it. won't want to, which no, is hard to understand. But <laughs> those that choose so, and through His grace and love, they'll be there. Because yeah, it I, is honoring seeing agency. The I always love the that. people on the outside of the church going, so you're going to make everybody Mormon, huh? <laughs> you can't get them here, you'll get them there. <laughs> like, yes, we're dragging, and we're going to drag them kicking and screaming in, into those kind of settings. Okay, so, uh, real quickly then. Christ, uh, again, I've got a couple of stories and then we'll be done. <coughs> uh, Christ was called in the great council in heaven. Notice that we are now moving even to more councils. I was, uh, I'm, I'm now high priest group leader. And we are, and I was talking to the other, my assistants, and we're trying to get ready for January when we're going to start having quorum councils. And the, and the church is pretty clear. This ain't a lesson. You're not supposed to teach a lesson on the first Sunday. This is a council. This is everybody sitting together, looking at somebody. How can we help them? What can we be doing? What kind of service needs to be done? How do we reclaim people? How do we, how do we, how do we? And then that information then goes to a ward council. And that ward council is going to the high council. And that's going off to the quorum of the first presidency. It's all about quorums and councils. Well, it started in the pre-existence. We counseled. How can we become like you? Okay, here's the plan. Here's how it works. Oh, look, all in favor? Yeah, we all shouted for joy. All shouted for joy. I think except for those that didn't want to suffer. And those are the third that says, ah, we don't like the suffering element to this thing. Okay. Uh, Adam and Eve's fall then was a planned 
ascent. They fell up in the plan of salvation. They didn't fall down. They came down the mountain, but it, that coming down the mountain from Eden was actually an ascent going up. Okay? Where did we call it the fall? We probably ought to call it something else. Yes, the elevator. Yes. The idea ultimately is that we would taste the bitter, meaning we taste, taste the suffering. We, that either, either by sin or just by mortality, we suffer. Okay? Uh, taste the bitter and so value the sweet. That was the whole idea. That's, that's what we believe. So judgment day is us counseling with our divine parents about those weaknesses that remain and keep us from living in their presence. That's what we bring. That's the Christ of the restoration. Okay? And, it's, and it's far grander and more beautiful and more encompassing than creedal Christianity has ever understood. So yes, our Christ is a little different. He's much more expansive in his ideas and thoughts. Does that make, sort of make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. So. Can I say something that you may want uh, You will. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. It is actually a restoration of the Christ that the, that the early church believed in the first and second century. Our, our readings tell us that, that from all of these founding fathers of the churches back then, uh, like Origen, um, they believe, this is the Christ they saw. This was the Godhead they understood. And it just got lost through the centuries as it made its way through kind of this slow apostasy. Okay. Yeah. That's the Christ they knew in person. Yeah. And that, and that their their grandfathers talked about. Yeah, we were there. We saw that. We saw the miracles. We, you know, we were there during the forty day ministry. We got him. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's interesting in the art of the early Christian times. Christ was often portrayed as the good shepherd or a teacher. Yeah. He was young, and it was more of the nurturer. And it was when the Byzantine Empire rose and after Constantine that he became more of a judge. Yes. So, and especially when it got into the, into the Roman Empire, now Christianity was a sword and it was a shield. And we were going to go in and take out the Muslims and wipe out the Jews. And, and this gentle, loving, nurturing Christ became a hammer yeah. and was crammed down everybody's throat. And that's so far from what he... It just was not an iron-fisted God that way, okay? All right, so how does that work? <clears throat> Wrap up with two ideas. Number one, um, I like the story of, uh, remember the, uh, the, in the New Testament, the, the man who has palsy, and he can't get in to see the Savior, so he's got four friends, and we don't know whether it was the man's idea or the man's idea, but anyway, they put him on a stretcher and they carry him toward the Savior's teaching and he's actually gone into a house. So now we can't really have a hard time getting access to him. Okay? <laughs> well, somebody came up with a bright idea. Knock a hole in the roof. <laughs> they just had strength. Wow. You know, it's almost like you, 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 go, you go on the internet, you're looking at stuff, then you get pop-up ads. <laughs> Pay attention to me. Really, I'm here. Well, this is like the ultimate pop-up man. Okay, we're going to knock a hole in the ceiling, and then we're going to hook up some pulleys, and we're going to lower him down. 
into the middle of this. He's sitting there eating or talking or something. And here comes this guy and sitting down in the sky. Wow. Okay. Now, i got to think this is a little bit uncomfortable for that man. That it's like, okay, I know this is really kind of foolish on my way out here, but they're lowering me down onto the pulley, down into the middle of this thing, and landing me right at the foot of the Savior. Okay? Now, the Savior's going to say two things to him. Kind of fascinating. One, and he's kind of teaching everybody around him as well. One, he's going to end up saying, take up thy bed and walk. But the other one is more fascinating. The Savior says unto him, your sins are forgiven thee. But he says that first. Yes, he, he does. It's the, the first one. And the scribes are just all up so, but they are. But what about the man? Yeah. What about the man? How long has he been laying at home with his palsy self, thinking sins? sins. I did this. What did I do? What did my family do? Okay. Um, so my worry has always been all my life that it was my sins that created my palsy. And you're right. The Savior is also teaching the Pharisees who are going to go, what? How can this man forgive sins? But the, but the personal effect on this guy. This had, so I'm thinking about him uh, and, and uh, Fiona Givens in The Christ of Heals kind of points this out. Thinking about him walking home. And he's going... What just happened here? <laughs> I'm really glad that I'm now no longer palsy and I have my bed under my arm and I'm walking home. That's cool, but was it about my sins? Did I do this to me? He wouldn't know. Now, I, yeah. Well, but that was the belief back then. She was believed that if a child was born yeah. with a disfigurement of any sort of anything. They were blind, they were deaf, they had a club foot, that it was either the sin of the parent or the sin of the unborn child that created this moment. And so for him to say you're forgiven of your sins, yeah, that would take away that stigma on that. Thing. Yeah. Automatically he would be like, oh, it's gone. Because right. that would be automatically what he thought of his own trouble. Yeah, and I think he ultimately got there, but I just have to think back to that moment. You know, he's being lowered down, lowered down, lowered down. There he is in front of the Savior, and he goes, your sins are forgiven you. Yeah. Thank you, I think. <laughs> that's, and, and part of, that, that's, that's a way of saying, by the way, that sometimes this Christ as the healer has a way for us that will heal us. And it will be different than what we think. Yeah. Part of going to the doctor is the doctor says, you're going to have to stay off that foot. <laughs> well, I plan on going on a trip. I know, but you're going to have to not do this. <laughs> well, I didn't want to do it. I know. <laughs> I, you know, I remember, I remember sitting across from the doctor and she goes, well, you have high blood pressure. And I said, okay. She says, you're going to have to take these pills. And I said, for how long? And she goes, probably the rest of your life. And I said, well, I don't want to take it the rest of my life. I know, but you're going to have to take the pills or have the high blood pressure. I don't want that. I know. <laughs> Sometimes in our healing, the Lord, this healer, is going to prescribe things for us that are different than what we were hoping for. That's part of what happens. He'd already taken a pretty good step, though, by I mean, the 
faith that required him to yeah. take that. Get me there. Get me there. And so I think we have to get to that point. Yeah. Um, when I'm thinking about this story and, and the analogy of the friends, and sometimes we're, we're the man that needs the friends to help us get to Christ, and sometimes we're not helping other people get to Christ by our choices and our actions. Yeah. We have to be responsible for that. That's true. Yeah. Sometimes we're the man and we need other people around us to help us do what we just can't. He had to be willing to say, I can't do this on my own. I need help. I've got to a point, I'm so wounded that I have to have help. And uh, present, I would say with, with, high, with high counsel, disciplinary counsel, sometimes people just had to say, I can't do this on my own. That some, let, some require a greater healing and the, and the participation and the help of others to get me there. Yeah. Um, when my husband was diagnosed with leukemia and only lived in me, and a lot of times in the temple, I would read from the 58th chapter about fasting and prayer. Mm-hmm. Of Isaiah? Uh-huh. And mm-hmm. right after he passed away, I was in the temple one day, and my eyes went to 57. And it was like such a revelation to me, and it was verse 18 where it says, I have seen his ways and will heal him. Wow. That sometimes that healing might require our passing. Yeah. Hey, Kevin. Yeah. I think sometimes Christ is the ultimate stain remover, if you will, because he destains our soul. But it also, he's also teaching us to disdain our theology and understanding of who he really is. Because that man that was lowered down didn't know his doctrine. No. Not really, because he's thinking, I caused this. Yeah. And so I, it's, it's, it's more than spiritual. It's also it's about our understanding here and here changes and becomes more pure. Oh, I think uh, so. Who Christ is. Yes. And, and that's really kind of what we're talking about. I think we need to get, sometimes recalibrate a little bit the, the, God, the Christ of the restoration and recognize that sometimes we've allowed um, Protestantism yeah. to kind of wheedle its way so in. So it's impure sometimes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, last, last story and then we're done and then we will go deep. True story of, um, again, this is uh, Fiona Gibbons' niece, I think. Um, she's serving a, a mission in Peru recently, her and her companion. They go to visit a member and they teach and they're with the member for a while. And then as they go, then they say, do you know anybody that could use a message of the sa- from the Savior? Okay, good standard approach. And, they say, and she said, yes, uh, there is a lady in a village not too far away that needs, your, that needs a message from the Savior. Oh, why is that? Well, uh, a few days ago, her, her da- she had a daughter that was struck by a motorized cart. Um, somebody was driving it, and, and, and she says, and yesterday this little girl died, and my friend has just fallen apart. And yeah, we would love to go see her. So she, she doesn't know exactly the house, so she kind of writes down the general directions, and off these sisters go to this little village. And they're looking around, and they can't find it. They can't figure out exactly which house this lady's at, okay? And, and so they, in prayer, they kind of prayerfully ask Heavenly Father, 
Um, where, where is she? Where's the house? Where should we go? And they get a very strong impression that it's this small little house off to the side. So these sisters then go, knock on the door, and sure enough, the lady's there, and she's in tears, and they said, we have a message from the Savior. Can we talk with you? Please come in. They sit down, and, and the lady says this. My husband recently died, or my husband recently left me. I have five kids I've been trying to raise, I'm now trying to raise on my own. And a few days ago, I was driving a motorized cart, and I hit a little girl. And I just found out that yesterday she died. And I'm devastated. What do I do? The Lord knows who needs to be healed. And I don't think we can assume we know who needs the healing. I just think that the Savior knows that all, all sin and actions and suffering in this life is a wounding. And, and when we are in tune, we will be led to help as saviors in Mount Zion help do what he would do which is to heal the woundings but don't assume you know what the woundings are uh, or how that came to be we're just supposed to heal I can't tell you how much that that touched me when I when I thought about this Christ of the restoration who is so much more loving and nurturing than we give him any credit for sometimes we think we know and then there's always more and there's always much more powerful so, in this holiday season, we, we, let's recognize that we are all wounded, that no wounding is worse than the other, that we all need the healer. And, and sometimes we are those, that healer, that extension of him, as we try to be like him in this, in this holiday season. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.